I want you to picture yourself, go a little bit ahead of time, all right? And picture yourself on Christmas morning, all right? All the presents and all the boxes have been opened and you're sitting on your couch with your second cup of coffee, okay? I got, a, I got an image for you, okay? An image for you. Throw up an image of this is my house, okay? This will help you see what it feels like, all right? Now, what happens is, if you're a parent in particular, this is all the junk, you sit there and you're on your second cup and you're feeling a bit tired and already a little like exhausted and a little like annoyed some of us even adults you didn't get what you wanted so you got a little disappointment going on do you all feel that so you're sitting there my, my wife sent this picture to her best friend with the line that said Christmas just threw up at our house which is what this exactly is uh, my kids obviously as you can tell are working on a Lego project in the top uh, left corner there not helping clean up that was all on us now what's interesting is we've been talking about uh, this Christmas season, not living passive, but living purposeful. And most of us would describe our lives right now as this. I, if I did a thought exercise, let's just get honest. Uh, busy, stressful, tired, complicated. Raise your hand if you all feel that about your life a little bit, all right? Now, there's a lot of hands raised. That's the most hand raised I've ever had at church. I've struggled with the fact because uh, we leave this season or our lives feel like this that's completely opposed to Galatians 5. What's going on in Galatians 5? Let's read it. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh and that's passions and desires since we live in the Spirit. Let us step, keep in step with the Spirit. All of us would say that our lives probably don't have these words leading it, right? And we're not in lockstep, but all of us desperately, desperately want more of those words. Who here does not want love to rule in their life? Uh, agape love, the love of God, the love of others. How many of us don't want joy, a deep inner sense of rejoicing that should be happening right now? No, what about peace, uh, a quietness, deep in our souls the, uh, that, that the world can't even understand, right? The crazy thing that defies human understanding or patience, uh, an ability to resist the hectic world, right? Uh, what about goodness and gentleness and self-control, all things that we need, but what we cannot do is achieve these on our own. We need the Spirit to do them, right? Now, the challenge is for that to happen, we have to make room for that to happen, right? Right? So there is a challenge that's happening where the Spirit wants to say, this is how your life should look. And because we haven't made room for it, instead we say, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm complicated, right? And what we see is that we have to see, to see the Spirit increase, we have to make room for that, all right? To see the fruits of the Spirit increase, we have to make room. Now, I think one area that challenges all of us, uh, this is going to be one of those convicting messages because it's convicting me, all right? And if you don't think this convicts you, then I want to talk to you after service, okay? One of the areas that we need all to work on is simplicity. Simplicity. 
I talked about this when I came up. It was intentional. Hebrews 12 tells us to throw off everything that hinders us. Simplicity is an act of throwing off all the things that hinder us, that keep us from God. It's, it's a call and a commitment to humility, right? It's a life of avoiding unnecessary complexity. You can avoid complexity. Everyone hear that truth today, okay? You can actually push against it. It's removing the things from your life so you can focus on God. It's the thing that we long the most for for believers, that people would see us and see less of us and see more of God, and yet we are still trying to run our own lives. Do you feel that? Now, when we think about simplicity, what comes to mind? I was thinking about simplicity, and I was thinking, I'm like, I'm thinking black turtleneck walking around Ikea, right? Like, you think, like, this is simplicity, right? This Swedish minimalism, right? That's what I was going to look for a black turtleneck, but I ran out of time. But this is, like, the minimalistic way of thinking, right? But, but I, you're lucky. You guys are lucky to have me as your pastor, because I got roots in this, right? For those who are new, I've shared this before for you uh, OG redeemed people. Uh, my great-great-grandfather, Manassas, was Amish. He, I, he was Amish, and uh, if anybody knows what, who Amish are, they are, uh, they are these Amish communities where they choose simplicity, all right? Now, I was going to say, most people don't believe this, but I took a picture last time I was home this summer. Go ahead and throw up that picture. This is my hometown. This is about five minutes from my hometown where I have to drive around a horse and buggy, all right? I think about this often. Jason's one of my, my best friends. He grew up in L.A. He grew up in traffic jams on I-5. I grew up having to go behind a horse and a buggy, praying that that horse did not poop so it doesn't get into your air system, right? And the only God that Jason and I are put together as friends because he's living a complete different lifestyle than me. But my great-great-grandpa was Manassas, right? And so he is all about simplicity. Now, there's a story to that, why I'm not Amish, because he did get shunned. But let's be honest, all of us in this room would be shunned if we were Amish, right? So he's, he's, he's living the life, but he lives simplicity right? He plain clothes. He didn't have any patterns. They weren't allowed any buttons. His whole fight was for simplicity. There was no modern technology. There was no access to the outside world. Now, I want to be very clear here. I am not calling you to the Amish lifestyle. Some of you feel like you want to convert to Amish. We'll talk afterwards, but I'm not calling you to Amish. I'm just saying that simplicity in many faith traditions are, is very deep-rooted. Evangelicalism simplicity is not deep-rooted. Complexity can be deep-rooted, all right? And so let's get back to choosing simplicity. All right, now, I want to talk about some things that we were, we, that, that are important when it comes to simplicity. This is going to be a very practical sermon, okay? But at this point, all of us have something that is trying to create you, okay? Think about that. At all times, something else is trying to create you. And there are three M's that I was thinking about when I, when I thought of these. Number one is the media, okay? The media, if you know anything about the media, they are trying to get you to feel anxious, to feel worried, to feel concerned, 
to, to have emotions suck you in to watch more of that media. That, if you allow it to happen, is going to uh, move you and create you in the way that they want you to. And then number two is materialism, especially this time of year, right? You are receiving an onslaught of ads that tell you something. And companies are not just saying, hey, uh, buy this product because it does X, Y, or Z. They're using emotions. They're saying, if you don't do this, you're going to be left out. If you don't have this K jeweler saying your boyfriend doesn't love you, right? Your husband doesn't love you. If you uh, don't have this, this, um, this thing that's going to solve all your problems, you're completely missing it, all right? And so the materialism is being fed at the same time. Your third thing is, I don't, just because I need a third M, is your mother, all right? Your mama is trying to convince you, right? Not your mama, but your friends, your family, your coworkers, everyone is still is trying to tell you to act a certain way, to be a certain way, to do this and not that, right? And all of this is noise. And so what we see is we have all this noise around us that is trying to influence you. And most of us are just allowing it to happen to you. Most of us, most of you are just allowing it to happen to you. Like, just like completely unaware of it, all right? And simplicity is simply this. It's a fight back from that, okay? It's a fight back. It's an acknowledgement that it's there. And it's pushing back and fighting back to make room for the creator of the universe to shape us, not the media or the, or the marketing or the, your mom, right? It's saying, I want, the, I want the spirit of the Lord to shape me into who he desires me to be, not the world. And so what happens is to live an outward lifestyle of simplicity massively, hear this, massively affects your internal, okay? And vice versa. The, the problem is, is that we want our internals to look a certain way. We want our insides to be full of peace and joy and, and, content, and contentment. And what happens is we don't do anything on the external to change it. So we don't do anything to fight back to say that is of the world and I'm following Jesus, all right? You'll see huge growth in your spiritual life if you, if you practice this. We have inner fruit that helps us focus our lives towards one thing, God. Now note, simplicity is not material possessions alone. That's one thing. But it encompasses all of your life. It's about humility. Humility. It's about cultivating a simplicity of heart. It's about uh, taking your desires and making sure that they're in alignment with God's kingdom. It's about letting go of all that you are attached to. You are attached to things. There are attachments that are happening that you are unaware of. If you want to live purposeful, we talked about this last week, you cannot live passive. Purpose and passivity do not coexist. But most of us are living passive lives and not fighting back in simplicity is an answer towards that. And this Christmas, let's talk about simplicity. If you can do it around Christmas time, you can do it anytime, all right? There are many stories in the Bible where we see simplicity 
and people and humble people are the are the choice that God makes to unveil his kingdom. Okay, multiple stories where you see that the humble and the simple are who God uses to unveil his coming glory. And as I was reading the Christmas story, I was thinking it's all over this too. And in Luke one, there's a line that just came and punched me in the face. All right. And Liz is going to be talking about the, the Mary's prayer and she's going to go real in depth on, on Mary's pondering. Right. But I wanted to go start here as she just hears that there's a, uh, the Holy spirit has said, uh, the, the angel comes and says that you're going to give birth to a baby through the Holy spirit. Right. And, and so she's sitting there with this news and she begins to do what she begins to bless the Lord. And in this blessing, over and over again, she uses this line. He has, okay? She says, he has done this, he has done that, he has uh, done this, and he has done that. And what he's saying, what she's saying is her heart is screaming, look at who God is is, all right? And this is the same God that we serve, right? So Mary's saying, look at who this God is. And so we should be saying, look at who our God is, because the Lord never changes, all right? Luke 1, He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Throughout it, throughout it, she is saying, God has reversed the rules commonly held in the world. He has exalted the humble. He has exalted the, the simple. This is our God. The God who can, she says it right here, who has brought down rulers. He has all the ability to bring down rulers, to bring down thrones, to bring down nations. And yet he says this, why I do that? I'm lifting up the humble. I'm knocking down the proud. I'm knocking down the esteemed. And this is the God that Mary knew and this is the God that we know and throughout the Christmas story this line is being displayed. He has lifted up the humble. Think about this. Uh, Bethlehem. Bethlehem, by all accounts, is a small, unimportant village. We've heard that all growing up. It, it's kind of weird that it is when you think about it, right? Because King David comes from this place. I mean, like, this is a, a royal place. And as a matter of fact, as you read through the prophecies, right, it's like the, the Messiah is coming from this place, just FYI. And yet still, it was an unimportant city. I, I haven't been to Israel. I was hoping to go this year, but I, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. But I, I, my friend Rabbi Brent, he always takes uh, tours, and he says, it, it still is is a pretty insignificant city. It's amazing. And yet the Messiah was going to come from this place, and it's inconsequential in some ways, all right? So you have Bethlehem, this, this place that God chooses to un unveil it. And, and then there's more, right? We see the actual birth location, Luke 2, 6-7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth, clothes, cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Not only does Mary go into labor in Bethlehem, but there were no Airbnbs available, right? And so she has to do it in a place that has livestock. She delivers in a place that has livestock in an insignificant town. This is how God is going to unveil his great plan. These are the things that are happening. This is the place where the redeemer of the world was born. And then think about this, how the news traveled. Luke 2, 8 through 10. 
And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Shepherds were not a high occupation. We, we've talked about this before. There's some debate on how low it is, but one thing we know is it's not top of the food chain, all right? If, you're a, if your lot in life is shepherd, you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, it is a lifestyle that is, is hard. In the social order, this is not who you declare this to, right? But this is how God works. He used the simple things in life, the, the ones that you wouldn't expect, and here he uses the shepherds to reveal the birth of a king. That's the dichotomy that's going on. And he uses us for his purposes along the way. We just have to be unhindered and ready to be used. And then we see this. So we have Bethlehem. We have the, the manger, the, the place where the livestock are. We, we have the place, the way that he unveils it. And, and then we see Jesus himself. Paul's going to tell us who Jesus is. Philippians 2, 6-8. Who being in the very nature, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Paul calls it like it is. To live like Christ in a manner that's worthy of the gospel, regardless of circumstances, you and me are called to live in humility. Paul's saying, why do we do this? Because Jesus is the example. The, the, the king of kings, the one who was equal with God, the one who was living in heaven, fully enjoying himself, chooses to come to the earth in human likeness, right? I don't like being around myself half the time, right? Being a human is a tough, a tough go, right? And he chooses to be the king of kings sitting in heaven, and he comes here on earth, and then him then God's like, here's how I'm going to unveil it. Bethlehem, a bunch, a bunch of horses and, and donkeys and cows. And then we're going to tell the shepherds. And then the whole thing's going to change. Think about how that is. His life is a selfless sacrifice is who Jesus is. When we talk about Jesus, we don't oftentimes, who is Jesus, right? There was a whole campaign, who, who is Jesus? And one of the things that's really interesting is I've never heard anybody say, you know who he is? He's a selfless sacrifice. But Paul's saying this is exactly who he is. And so if this is the king we follow, then this is the path that we take as well, right? He, he, we see it in the birth narrative to the death and the cross. Jesus takes the form of a human. And when he takes the form of a human, he takes the form of a servant. Despite his divinity, this is the king that we bow down to. 
and serve the king. And to do that, we have to look more like the king, not less like the king, all right? And so some of us have bought into the lie that we can, we can live this life as a believer, live this life as a Christian, and keep doing the things that we want to do. But we don't see that in the birth narrative, and we don't see that in Jesus' life. He's saying, no, Jesus came, and he chose to be a human. And then he went even lower, and he chose to be a servant within that human. We have to look more like him. As we're entering into this Christmas season, I want to get really practical here, right? That's my preaching. I hope I, I hope hope you're on the same page. Because if we don't get practical, then we keep walking, we walk out of here looking completely the same way that we did when we walk in here, right? And so I want to go through what does this look like for our life? As I was talking to some people, it's like, man, I understand the concept of simplicity. I don't know how to get there. I don't know what to say yes to. I don't know what to say no to. I don't know how to, how to do this well. And there's a great book, and we're going to see this, Richard Foster's book called Celebration of Discipline, all right? If you are getting started in your Christian walk, it's kind of a heady book, but the Celebration of Discipline, there are, he has the, the different disciplines and how we should interact with it. And simplicity is one of them on there. So a lot of this thinking is, it comes from him, all right? So cheater, you don't even have to read the book, all right? You, at least this chapter, all right? But as I was thinking about it, there's three things that I, I want us to think about, all right? I want to think about how do you simplify your space? How do you simplify your pace? And how do you simplify your gaze, all right? So how do we simplify our space, the things that are around us? How do we simplify our pace, the things that we say yes to, the things that we say no to? And then there's going to be another one, which is simplify your gaze, all right? Meaning we look at a lot of things. We have a lot of influences in our lives. I'm telling you there's one influence in your life, okay? So simplify your space. Let's start this. Number one. Ask yourself, why am I getting this, okay? Why am I getting this, all right? Fight the status by. Don't do anything to impress others. Let me say that again. In all areas of your life, don't do anything to impress others. If you get freedom in this area, you can rock and you can roll, all right? And I'm still fighting it myself. But don't do anything to impress others. I'm not saying don't purchase anything. I'm not calling you to the Amish lifestyle again. I'm saying find enjoyment in the things that God has already given you, okay? Uh, if something is adding to your commitment, contentment, you're missing it. Our contentment is with the Lord. And when we receive something, it just goes along with the, the joy of the Lord, all right? Meg and I get made fun of often by our family. I'm not making contact with my mother-in-law. We are uh, the slowest buyers that you have ever met, right? When we want something or we like feel like we even need something, we will sit on it for days or for weeks. Now, this was a commitment that Meg and I made to each other. When we were in, um, when we were in uh, premarital counseling, we committed that we will not spend more than $50 without telling the other person. $50, all right? So it keeps us from a lot of impulse spending, right? Because I, when I'm at Costco, I want to spend at least 50 bucks on everything. 
<laughs> but what happens is, as we sit on things for purchase, uh, before we purchase, we want to make sure that we are purchasing it because we generally need it or we generally think that it will add, uh, it will add to our lives. It will add value to our lives, all right? And what I mean by that is when you sit on it, we're not finding value in it. We're not impulse buying at that moment where we're trying to find uh, value in it. Rather, we're saying our value is in the Lord and we've sat on this and we need it or this would be something that would be a value of our lives, all right? Number two, be aware that they are trying to manipulate you, all right? I, I was gonna, I tried to say this a little bit kinder, but let's just call it what it is. Because we're living in a time of complete lies that are happening to you all the time. And again, Christians are just sitting and taking it, all right? And the lie is that these things will fulfill you. Reject the hype as much as you can. I've said this before. Write down the things that really stand up to you. If you could work on one of these things, uh, I want you to really work on it this year, but remember, everyone is trying to convince you that you need something to be better, to be uh, more successful, or to feel better by yourself. It's a lie from the enemy, I believe, all right? That you need the latest and the greatest, but the greatest gift that you can give yourself and you can give your family is to ask the Lord to remove want from you, okay? I'm on this journey completely. Uh, it's not that it's bad to get stuff again, but the want, the insatiable want is unbelievable. I, Je Jeremiah, I love you, buddy. I'll, I'll share this thing because I think it just popped in my head. Uh, I, I did Surprise Family Friday night. It, it was awesome, right? I, I drove them and they didn't even know and then we stopped at Crumble Cookies. We got Crumble Cookery and then we went to Target and we got, uh, we got uh, gingerbread houses to make for Friday. It was just awesome. Then I turned another one and got them Chipotle. Come on. Am I the best dad in the world? Now, all this stuff is happening. And we come to the checkout line and both my boys, uh, they have crumble cookies in hand. They have Chipotle. They have these gingerbread things and they both wanted gum and candy at the same time. That's you and me at the same time. I'm judging them completely, but all of us are like, God, you gave me crumble cookies, you gave me Chipotle, you gave me gingerbread houses, could I just get some gum and some candy at the same time, right? I'm thinking the dentist bill, but they, you know, I'm also thinking, all right, I'm going to disciple them into want, but this is who we are, right? Look, buy, buy nice stuff, buy, buy good quality stuff, I'm not saying that, but just make sure that your heart is in the right place when you do it, okay? Ecclesiastes 5.10, I love this verse. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. What is happening here, okay? Who's writing this? This is incredible. Solomon argues that we are blessed with money, that when we are blessed with money, our hearts may actually keep us from enjoying it. All right, now Solomon is known as one of the richest people ever to live, all right? He's loaded. The dude's loaded. And yet this is how he looks at wealth. This is the wisdom that comes in, right? Keep in mind, he's one of the richest people, and he's saying a love of money is meaningless. Meaningless is a powerful word, word, right? I don't use the word meaningless very often. A love of money is meaningless, not only that, he's going to go later on to say, and I didn't put it, but if enjoyment of wealth is all that matters to you, 
you're actually going to have increased anxiety. He says you will actually have sleepless nights pursuing these things. Solomon called it like it is, right? Uh, sleepless nights when it comes to this. All right, number three, how do we fight that then? Give more than you think you can. I want to be very clear. Uh, we're in the middle of a, a giving campaign. I, I came out with this outside the giving campaign, all right? Eddie, my, bo my buddy Eddie, he's trying to raise money for Young Life. We have Celebrate You Foundation. We have the Tacoma Rescue Mission. We have uh, Jonah's Uganda Wells. We got all kinds of things going on. We got people out in the streets that just need help, okay? Uh, this is not a give to the church message. But what I want to say is give until it hurts a little bit, all right? If you have attachment to possessions, give to others, okay? If this is an area that you're like, man, I got to figure this out. Like, I, I, I have to figure out this area. Give to others. I'm telling you, it's a great joy. If you're wondering where to start, go bless someone. Give money away or even better. I do this with my kids. It's really hard. Make them give something that they love away, okay? Not love. I mean, not like the dog or something. Although, <laughs> anybody looking for a dog, let me know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're even... <laughs> but something that you're attached to, something that really matters to you, to bless someone, to say, Lord, I'm finding my worth in this, and I don't want to find my worth in this. I'm finding my worth in what I make. I'm, I'm worried about making enough, or whatever it is. I'm telling you, the Lord, it's one of those talks, man, like, Megan and I took a, a pay cut coming to pastor the church. Like, let's just be completely transparent. And I, we were just reflecting the other day, I feel like we have as much money as we ever have. I don't know how the math's working out, but the Lord is blessing it as we give more and more, all right? Remember, the goal is freedom in simplicity, not guilt, all right? It's just attachment, attachment issues. Okay, let's go into simplify your pace. Number one, be mindful that there are things that fuel addictions. I'm going to let that one sit. Screens are addicting, food can be addicting, buying can be addicting. Anything that is addicting actually takes you away from living. Think about that. Anything that you allow yourself to be addicted to, you are training fully living for that thing. Uh, I got this dog. Uh, you've heard about the dog. The dog is the best thing and ruining my life at the same time. But one of the things that's amazing is we walk around the block. Every night when it's not raining, I walk the dog around the block. The block is a fantastic thing for me. It's 12 minutes. If you have junior high kids, you know that 12 minutes is the perfect amount of time to talk to them, right? And so Jeremiah loves to go on what he calls Jer and Dad walks with the dog, all right? So uh, the last few weeks, we've been walking around the block. And it's amazing the things that he will share. And uh, we talk about everything uh, from life and he said to me uh, just this week he said dad sometimes I'm talking to you and you're looking at your phone and you answer me and, and sometimes that answer is the, the right thing but I don't feel like you're really listening to me out of the mouth of babes huh I, I, was, I was a little bit convicted but also like thank you because all we can do is get better right all we can do is get better. But it hit me like a ton of bricks. Limit your screen time. Limit your screen time. Limit your consumption of media. 
limit anything that can lead to addictions. Again, simplicity is a fight back on all the things, right? That, that keep you from focusing on God. For each person in this room, it's going to be completely different. Let the Holy Spirit convict you on those things. Or let your 12-year-old or your 11-year-old son convict you on those things. I put my phone away a little bit more. Be, number two, be intentional with your words. Embrace plain and honest speech. Let your words reflect honesty. Be as authentic as you can. I, Phil's been sharing the last couple of weeks, uh, months in, in a small group, I mean in, in men's group, and I love what he says. What does it mean to be authentic? It's the amount that you're willing to be vulnerable with others and then the amount that you're willing to hear the truth from others. Be as authentic in this season as you can. Jeremiah's words hurt me, but me being authentic is like, this is something that I need to be vulnerable at, and I'm going to accept this truth from him to make me even more authentic, all right? Be honest with your words. Avoid half-truths. Avoid exaggerations. My team's laughing. I'm an exaggerator. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, right? Avoid exaggerations. Avoid gossip at all costs. The church will call on every sin except for gossip. Avoid gossip. It will ruin your family. It will ruin the church. It will ruin relationships that are important to you. Hold your tongue. Be wise with your words. Be intentional with your words. And all that you do, try to speak God's truth, not the way the world tells you is true. Number three, think experiences. Challenge the lie that it's all about acquiring stuff, all right? It's not. Find pleasure in experiences. Appreciate the beauty of nature. I will say this to everyone that moves here. I know it's expensive here. I've traveled all around the world. My previous careers were countries, and I've been to every state but three. This is the most beautiful place in the world. I mean it. Enjoy it. We don't enjoy it. Enjoy time with family. Listen to me. Some of you need to hear this. Me, this is speaking to myself. You're going to have to go to that party anyway. Enjoy it, all right? <laughs> right? Be present in the moment. If you want to uh, simplify your pace, you're going to have to do stuff that you don't want to do anyway. But what really happens when we fight for simplicity is say, I'm going to be present in this moment. And maybe, maybe the Lord wants to work through it, all right? Yeah. Living in Kairos time, not running past meaningful moments, all right? Make sure that you pursue the things that matter eternally, all right? Number three, this is the most confusing probably. You're like, what are you talking about? Simplify your gaze. What do I mean by that? Simplify your gaze. Stay focused on God's kingdom. All of this simplicity is to stop listening to the world so that you can focus on God's kingdom. If you want to grow spiritually, this is all that matters. Make time to pursue what matters eternally. Guard against status. Guard against stuff. Guard against personal ambition. Matthew 6.33. Jesus is going to say exactly how this all operates. All right, let's throw it up. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Listen, mark this in your days. 
Mark this in your calendars. It is incredible the amount of people that tell me, I want to get into God's Word, but I just don't find the time. I want to pray, but I don't find the time. And you look at their calendar, and you, there's just huge gaps of Netflix, or there's huge gaps of YouTube, or there's huge gaps of just being... Uh, never mind, I won't go there. But mark it in your calendar. God desires the first fruits, not your last fruits. And what He's saying is this. To live a simple life, it's summed up by this. Seek, simplify your gaze on the kingdom and His righteousness. Don't worry about how much money you're going to get on that bonus. Don't worry about the stuff that you may not have money for for presents, right? Seek first His kingdom and all else will be given to you. I have found this to be true in my life over and over and over again, and yet I find myself listening to the world in this one, right? Our culture lacks both the inward reality and the outward lifestyle of simplicity. And when we say yes to the world, we're saying no in some ways to focusing on God. But simplicity is a fight back, all right? You have the ability, everyone hear me, you have the ability to fight back on the insanity of the world. There is a psychotic nature that we are all experiencing, right? We are living in a world that says it's okay to owe someone money to get what I want. It's crazy. To live completely above your means is crazy. The Lord has blessed us with what we need to be content. And yet the lie of the world is to say that there's nothing I can do about this. We are driven not by original thinking or what we produce or our character. We are driven by what others think about us and we buy things to fulfill what we think other people are going to think about us. Think about that. There's no more pressing time than Christmas. Listen, there is a pressure that each of you are feeling, a pressure to keep up. I think some of you have a pressure that you feel like you have to keep up. It's a lie from the enemy. Some of you, some of you have believed the lie that this Christmas, everything has to be perfect. That's a lie from the enemy. It doesn't have to be perfect. What matters the most is that the Lord is trying to do something through you, but when you fill up your life with all the junk and not seek first His kingdom, you are going to leave this season more tired, more anxious, more confused, more whatever, fill in the blank. When He's saying, I want you to have joy and peace and gentleness and self-control. That's what I promised you. And let the world is promising you all the things that you're feeling. And yet we still have one foot in the grave. And he's saying, get up out of the grave. Some of you are feeling pressures to buy gifts even when you don't have the resources. But we are celebrating the birth of the king of the world who chose to come down to this world in a small insignificant town in a manger And the first to declare his news was some lowly shepherd. And we see the humbled, the exalted throughout this story. And this is the king over and over and over again. From the manger to the cross, he's going to tell us one thing is important. 
Stop chasing things that don't matter. And so if this is the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the world is going to have the message that's complete opposite of that. Over and over again, he's, they're gonna, the world's going to tell you, the enemy's going to tell you, you got to be something, you got to do something, you got to provide something that maybe the Lord isn't calling you to. We have to fight this dichotomy that our world is telling us to celebrate the birth of the king who was born in a manger to live outside what the Lord asked us to in this season. Think about that. That we would be so busy that we aren't focused on what really matters, to love God and love others well. If I took a mark of December at Redeem, I would love to grade people when they walk in January 1 and say, in December, how well did you love God and you love others? That's what God cares about. He doesn't care what your Christmas living room looks like. He says, I want you to love me and I want you to love others. And the only way to do that is to fight back, to fight greed, to fight complexity, to simplify our lives, to focus our lives. Let's stand up. I'm always aware that we just rush through things. And so I'm just going to pray. No, you can take it. I'm just going to pray that you... Um, I don't know where you're at. Again, I'll say this again. It's not my words, but if, th if this message doesn't convict you in one or two ways, then, you're, then we're missing the call that Jesus has for us, all right? And so just every head bowed, I'm just going to pray that we would let this sit deep into our souls. Lord, you came as a humble servant. Who are we to say that our lives should be marked by success or marked by possessions or marked by what we do? If you chose to come as a humble servant, Lord, we are a follower of the King. We bow our heads to the King of the universe, the one who came as a servant. So Lord, any area that you need to uh, root out of us, areas of perfectionism, I, I feel that heavily. heavily. A areas of, um, of greed or want or desire, uh, areas of um, pride and ego that you understand that, uh, uh, that, you're, that God's calling you to this area. Or would you root it out? Speak just to each person, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you're hearing something, I want to be very clear here. It's like my son walking with the dog. Let it be a check in your spirit. Don't feel guilt and shame. It's the Lord working on you. It's the Lord working on you. It's a good thing. I'd much rather be told before it's too late. Come. 
Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are enough. We thank you that you are our contentment. We thank you, Lord, that you are our joy and our peace. And Lord, that you give us self-control, that the fruits of the Spirit are what you promised, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.